To get um, and it's it's weird calling calling this the um, ICT's new sporting director John Robertson. I've been trying to get him on the pod for a while, and he's he's kindly giving me some time. John, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Stevie. Nice to nice to talk to you. Uh, so you're looking well. Um, yeah, before we started recording, you said it's uh, it's all system go. I think you I think you found management to be a bit easier than the new job. Is it the twenty four seven at the moment? It is. Yes, uh, I mean the the aspect of that is the new role is all encompassing. Um, and it covers virtually every aspect across the club. Um, you know, the main aspect of it will be to assist Billy um, with, you know, our, our main aspect here is to get Billy to concentrate on the team, uh, coaching the team uh, and getting them ready for the season. So, you know, we'll speak about um, targets uh, for players. Uh, we'll speak about the, the scouting recruitment I'll be um, in charge of you know, keeping the, the scouts that I've got in place and, and getting one or two that, that Billy has, uh, collating with them um, and, and making sure that we have the, the, the squad that we need to begin the season. And then also, you know, the, the best part of that aspect going forward is is to get looking at players for the January window and following season. So as a manager, you don't get the opportunity to see uh, players. So if I've, you know, I've got... Uh, Three, four trusted guys: North East, North West England, Yorkshire, and London. And they would come to me with lots of good players. The perfect example: David Carson. Um, you know, I got a phone call um, saying, "Look, I've got this this player. He's really, really good. Come down and see him." So we sent our scout first uh, in the North East, um, Kenny. He had a good look. Yeah, he's decent. Sent the second scout from the North West, uh, David. He had a good look. Yeah, uh, and unfortunately, probably for the first time ever. Having seen footage, got two first-hand watch, uh, watching him, because there's nothing better than seeing a player with your own eye. And he was everything we wanted. And I thought, yeah, he's one that will, will do well for us. So that's not always the case, um, as I say, because normally you have to, you know, you can watch any player, anywhere in the world now, uh, on Scout, but, um, but there's nothing better than seeing them yourself. And I, I like that aspect of it, that if I can get to see a player, um, that was always the way we tried to do it. Um, you know, if we were recommending a player that we fancied on footage, let's find somebody who's played with them. Let's find somebody who's coached them or managed them. Get some background checks, and then hopefully myself get to to see them uh, at the end. And I think it's worked for us over the years. You know, I think uh, the players that we've brought in, we've not had too many uh, failures in that respect. We've lost 15, 16 players to the Premier League. Um, over the last four seasons uh, since I've been back. You know, we've showed the, the quality that we can bring in. And that's what the main aspect of, of my new role is to help Billy do that. So we could get recommendations. I can physically now drive down to Newcastle, Middlesbrough, Sunderland. I can drive down to Yorkshire. I can drive down to, to London. Um, spend two or three day, days down there watching various players that have recommended various levels and try and bring them back because if you look at the history of our club as we've said before the DNA is refined gems refined players from places other players don't um, including you know most notably I suppose when when Terry was here um, where we brought a lot of English lads up who come on to do fabulous stuff for the club uh, the likes of Gary Warren David Raven Carl Marco, Josh Meekings 
Um, Owen Tudor Jones, Adam Rooney, Billy McKay, uh, uh, Richie Foran, you know, all these lads come up, uh, Dean Brill. So we've, we've had a history in the past of doing it slightly harder when you're in the Championship because, you you know, when you're in the Premier Premiership, you can talk about going to Ibrox, Celtic Park, Easter Road, the Tawdry, Tynecastle, um, playing in front of a big crowd. So it's, it's harder in that space, but that makes the job even uh, more satisfying when you go and find uh, a David Carson, when you go and help guys like Tom Walsh um, come from, you know, having left a big club at Rangers, suddenly got a game. You go and find your George Oakley's, you go and bring back and rejuvenate your Jordan Whites. You know, the other aspect of it as well is to keep an eye on our own young players. I mean, everybody has been absolutely delighted with the progress that the, the likes of Daniel McKay, uh, Cameron Harper and Ronnie McGregor have made. And then signing young players like Robbie Dees, Wallace Duffy, etc., who we've, we've high hopes for. So it's important that you mix it up um, and then say, so going forward, recruitment, scouting will be a big part of my remit, um, improving the training ground at Fort George, looking at a potential new training ground in the city, um, helping develop the, the women's section of the football club, because we feel that has a massively um, big future uh, for us as a, as a club, as a community, um, looking and helping with the Puma deal, so there's, there's lots and lots of stuff. You know, there'll be a lot of SPFL meetings that takes the pressure off Scott Gardner as well to go down and, and represent the club in there and, and be involved in various action groups. We had a meeting with yourself um, last week about the, the, fans, um, the fans group. Again, you know, looking at meetings like that, finding what the fans are after, finding out how we can improve match experience, how we can do things better off the pitch and... and make things right um, because you know it's, it's been it's been a tough 18 months for everybody uh, a lot of people may have thought well I don't need football in my life anymore well our job is to make sure that uh, we we get them back in love with the club um, and and back here at the stadium so I'm, I'm guessing 89 is going to be your best friend obviously over the next few months when you were managing John how you know you've got a few trusted advisors that you would maybe go to to, to obviously get recommendation but how hard is it been based maybe a little bit off off the radar up the next Listen, we've said before we're we're geographically challenged. Um, there's no doubt about that. You know, I've had various charts in the past. Jim Duffy used to say, you know, he he was amazed at how well we'd done up here in terms of recruitment because um, he could offer a player less than us and get him because he was based in the central belt. Um, and if you consider the fact that we have to spend a six-figure sum on housing before we even kick a ball. Uh, our annual uh, pre-match and coach bill will be, you know, around about forty, fifty thousand pounds as well. So you know, we're we're a lot of money down before we even start because of where we are. Um, but that that's always been a you know, I've always looked at it in a positive aspect in the respect that once you persuade a player to come up here, you know they're not coming up just for money because we don't pay a lot of money. They're coming up because they want to play for the club and. When we get them up here to the Highlands, they absolutely love it. Um, they all do. And even guys that have gone on back into the Premier League, they've said if the club was in the Premier League, they wouldn't be leaving because they love the area, they love the city, they, they love playing for, for Inverness. So, you know, the A9 will be a friend. You know, I'll, you know, I'll know it well. What we, we've done now and part of the things that going forward with chat with Billy is that you have to have a process. Otherwise, you would just spend 24-7 going through various aspects. So now we ask agents to send send footage, send the, the wage experts and say, the, the agency's experts from it, 
And then you, right away, you, you, you rule out 60, 70% of the players right away because it'll be too expensive for us. And then when you say that, it's amazing how quickly some agents suddenly go, oh, well, wait a minute, we can look at something else. It's difficult for, you know, you, you look at players like, say, last year we were trying to, to sign Kevin O'Hara um, from Allo. I felt was a good player. We, we couldn't get him because he's based in the central belt, his life's in the central belt, his family's in the central belt, and it's difficult to get to come. You know, as I say, we try our hardest to, to be in the market for, you know, players that are about, but they just simply won't relocate to the Highlands. And to put it in perspective, a completely different scale, I had a good chat with Craig Levine yesterday about, you know, he'd phoned to tell me that he was obviously he's now the director of football at Brecon. Brecon for years have never had any problem uh, getting players because they train in Perth, they play their matches, all the lads they get from Edinburgh and Glasgow, uh, Fife, they'll meet them at Perth or they'll, they'll go straight to the games to play for them. They are now having a really, really tough time getting players to come and play for Brecon because suddenly all their games are in the Highlands. Um, and that's a, a kind of little taster of what we have to deal with uh, every year. Now, part of that is if we got back at ourselves back into the Premier League, that would alleviate a lot of it. Because I say the, the attraction of playing in the Premier League against the top sides makes a huge, huge difference to us. Yeah, we spoke about this as fans, John, and, uh, and people, Inverness obviously likes us in Johnston because I think size of fan base is pretty similar. But St. Johnston's got that, the novelty of being in the centre of Scotland, they get people from Edinburgh, people from Glasgow. So for Inverness, generally, or not generally, historically, have we always found it easier to attract people from down south, out west Scotland, that if they get someone from Glasgow or Edinburgh, is that Yeah, is that true? in the Premier League it was, yes. Mm-hmm. But we're not in the Premier League. And that's what I'm saying is that, and I know that's how the fans get frustrated at times, is because as I said to you before, that when you're playing in the Premier League and you're looking at the fixture list, a player's looking at the fixture list and he's saying, well, first game's Celtic at home, second game's Aberdeen away, third game's Hibs at home, fourth game's Dundee United away, fifth game's Hearts at home. You look at those fixtures and you go, wow, why would I not want to be involved in that? And that's why it's a hell of a lot easier to attract players when you're in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. When you're suddenly in the in the Championship and players are looking going, oh, we've got Aloha at home, breaking away, Air away, uh, you know, Queen of South at home, they're going, well... You know, English lads are like, nah, that's not really, you know, I'd be as well staying in, in League Two and League One. And the thing is down there as well, you've, you've got to understand is that there, there is a, without naming names, um, there is an ex-Inverness Cali Thistle player, um, striker, playing in the um, National League uh, in England, which is the fifth tier and is on £5,000 a week. That's the kind of money that they're getting paid. They're getting paid big money. So we, we or I have, in the last four years, I've sold our club on the fact is that we want to get back to the Premier League. And if we get back to the Premier League, everybody benefits from it. But that if any player does well um, and another club comes in from the Premier League and the price is right, then they'll be moved on because you can't, we can't hold back players' careers. We can't hold them back playing in the best league up here in Scotland um, if we can't get into there. So you've got to sell them that you know, we're a club that will, will allow you to move on if the price is right um, and you do the business for us. Now, ideally, we've said along, we want you to help us get back in the Premier League and I say once we're in the Premier League, everybody benefits. And the simple economics of that is that if you look at an, a normal um, championship season, we'll be lucky right now if we bring in around seven, 8,000 away fans. 
for the season. Yeah. In the Premier League, that was probably ten times the amount. Mm. Now just just take the take the the economic twenty pound a person of seventy thousand people of difference, and then suddenly you're talking a lot of money. Uh, maybe not as much as it's, I think it's around about seven hundred thousand pounds of a difference in the way fans only by Inverness being in the Premier League. So that's why it's 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 hard when you're in in here, you're down here because you see you want to try and get things right. Um, but off the pitch, as I say, we're now heading in the right direction. Um, the new CEO, Scott Garrett, done a terrific job, uh, along with, with Ross Moss, the chairman of the board, to look at the function of the club and the way that the club performs. Because as a, as a business, we cannot just solely rely on football because the, the season tickets and the footfall of fans come in, um, as you saw over the last 20 of the last 25 years, you run at a, you run at a loss. Um, the aim of the, the new things and the off-pitch things going on at the moment are to um, give the club a really strong uh, f- uh, founding financially and be self-sustainable. And the word self-sustainable in Inverness, uh, Cali Thistle, unfortunately, has, has been few and far between over the last few years. No, I agree. I will touch that later, but I want to take you back to, it seems like a lot, I mean, it seems a lot longer, but 2017, the summer of 2017, I think, Obviously, we had a lot of turmoil for the season before getting relegated. And I think, looking back, and fans were delighted to see you coming back, John, but you never applied to a job. I think we approached you. So, see, at that time, were you looking to get back into management or how did it come about again? Yeah, well, the thing was, I'd been out, you know, people had gone on. I'd been out for a long time when I was first appointed. I was still involved heavily in the game because, you know, I'd, I'd been working part-time these five. Um, I was working... Um, originally with, with the Orion group and then I went back, I was offered a post at Hearts to work on the, the commercial side uh, during the day and then be head of coach education at night to coach the coaches because I had a similar role with the, the SFA and the, and the SFA licence courses and obviously the you know the, the club had got relegated and, and the job came up and, I, and I, got, I got a phone call from Danny McDonald asking if I'd be interested in speaking um, and I initially said, to him, "Look, I'm not sure. I've been out of the game full time, you know, for seven years. I've, I've been working in commercial department for three. Still watch a lot of games. Still done a lot for the BBC. So I still had my finger on the pulse." And he just says, "Look, you know, we've we've got a, a situation here that he says I feel you'd be the perfect man for the job because we're going to have to cost cut. You know, the the budget the the previous season was 1.2 million. We have to half that um, right away to get players in." You've got a good eye for players. You can bring lads in. So they, they, he basically managed to persuade me to come up for an interview, um, which uh, I had. And then I was asked to go for a second interview in Edinburgh, um, which wasn't a second interview. It was a job offer. Uh, and it was, it was a whirlwind, as I said at the time. Um, and they just felt, the board felt I was the right man. So obviously my wife Sally was still living up here. And we'd only really seen each other at, at the weekend for three years. Um, so it kind of fitted into place uh, and came up and probably the most frantic part of the last four seasons has been was those first two three weeks because we literally only had 14 days 15 days to sign 13 or 14 players um, okay. and it was difficult because by that time the players that you'd like had already gone and signed for other clubs so you were kind of left with what was floating about and 
So we're basically just trying to you know keep what we had, add what we had could afford, basically, to try and get things going. Um, and I think that showed. I think our early our early season form was wasn't great. With a lot of new lads in, but we still had the hangover from uh, the relegation. So the players here were, were feeling a wee bit sorry for themselves. But as the season went on, gradually we, we started to, to up our game. And as I said, towards the end, we were very, very unlucky to miss out. Um, you know, you go back, incidents, 96 minute equaliser from Dunfermline um, stopped us right. basically from hitting the playoffs with the momentum we had at that time, having won the Challenge Cup. Um, I think we could have gone all the way. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, still some good signings came in. Obviously, boys like Mark Ridgers are still at the club and you, you built from the back. But was there a, I know there was a few foreign boys coming in and we were talking about the scouting before. Was there a, a pressure like we don't have much time, as you said, 14 days, we need some boys in and it was a bit of a gamble? Yeah, of course it is. Because as I said, at that time, normally, as I said, that if you, if you look at the, the general way a manager works is that, the, the first season, then you'll 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 you're hopefully you've got a reasonable squad. Now we we feel at the moment for Billy, we've got a reasonable squad of players. We've got about fifteen players, so hopefully we can add four or five, maybe six to that, um, and and progress our younger players as well. Uh, like say Harry Nicholson, Ryan Fife, Lewis Hyde, um, they're the next bunch. Um, so you tend to start looking at who you may be releasing, who you think where the where does the team need to improve. Who's not going to re-sign their contracts? Um, because you get an early, you know, we'll start talking to players to February, uh, March time, and you get a rough idea where players are. And and we could tell, sort of February time there, that there was two or three definitely going to be leaving because they, they had a possibility of going elsewhere. There was two or three were thinking, right, they've not done anything wrong, but we need to strengthen that area team. We need to bring in fresh faces. So you, you look at that, but that's when you start going and looking about other clubs and say, right, who's available? We like him, right? Let's go and let's go and like Tom Walsh. Let's let's have a chat with Tom Walsh. So you start to put in place. Normally, you'll you'll have three, four, maybe five players lined up to replace the ones that you know are going to go, um, and that'll still leave you two or three spots to do. So that's the the planning aspect of it. Is is that you you start to do it? But having come in so late, as I said to you, all the players that we'd have liked to have had had already been uh, spoken to by the clubs because they're out of contract. Uh, so we were we were looking about basically what was what was left. And there wasn't a great deal left. That's no disrespect to the players we signed. But we had to go and find uh, bodies to fill positions and fill them quickly. Um, so as I said, it was a it was a really frantic time. Zakusen didn't work too well the Dutch striker that was one of the failures. But as I said, you had to we had to sign players. You still say I mean although we were disappointed um I think most fans are realistic. The change that had to happen. I mean, we won, we won, the, won the Challenge Cup. We finished finished strong in the league as we, as we always do every season. Um, how how imp- impressed were you? Uh, obviously, the team getting better as the season went on. But then you start blood young guys in like Daniel McKay. And I know the story where I think you went down to the England game, didn't you, the night before the the final and drove them back up the road. Yeah, uh, it's it's a folklore story now that that obviously we at the time we brought in players and. Um, we had a few injuries as well, but the the squad at that time, the under-16 squad, were had now moved from 16s to 18s. So basically, they were all under-17s, Daniel and uh, the rest of the lads. We were looking at them and thinking, right, you know, forwards you'll always take a chance on uh, as younger as younger things because especially someone like Daniel who's got pace, he's got an eye for the goal, you know you can chuck him on with 10 minutes to go and he just might do something. He might just 
nick a goal, we might run him behind, get a penalty and stuff, where it's always harder for younger defenders because you're thinking, well, you don't want to put him on just in case he, he makes mistakes, it affects his confidence. So Daniel had been in and out of the team. We'd thrown him on his, and he scored in his debut against Peter Head with 10 minutes to go. And that was his role at that time. He was only 16. You have to watch. You have to just give them a wee chance, give them a wee chance, give them a wee chance and, and then take them out of the team. And, and that's, that's part of the, the things that we're very proud of, the way we've managed um, Daniel, um, Roddy and Cameron in particular, that as a manager, an experienced manager, they, you can easily burn these players out. You know, they're still young lads. They're still getting used to full-time training, the intensity of full-time training, because they were still playing under-18 football. Although they, they were getting involved in the first team on Saturday, they were still playing under-18 football. And it's a massive, massive jump. Um, but Dan at the time had, had come into the side and he and Kim Chammers were playing for the Scotland Schoolboys. And it was the night before the Challenge Cup final. And as we said, Dan at the time was, was an important squad member. He was coming off the bench and, and causing problems. So we spoke to the Scottish schools. They said, well, look, we've got to play them. So we, we said, look, well, I'll come down to the game in York, um, watch the match, then drive them up to Edinburgh. We'll, we'll book them in the hotel in Edinburgh and then I'll take them up to Perth to meet the lads for the game. Um, so I drove, I think it was like eight, eight hours or so down the game, watched the match, um, drove the lads up to, to uh, the Apex Hotel at the bridge. We stayed there overnight and then drove up to Perth. And it was funny because when we were bringing them on, the game itself was... Not a classic in terms of, you know, Dumbarton sat in, try hats on the break. We couldn't break them down. We missed the penalty. You're thinking it's going to be one of those days. And we said that to, jokingly said to Dan when he was going on, saying, Luke, you know, if I've driven all the way down to York to pick you up, to come on and do something here, you make sure you go on and do it. But of course, he went on. He smashed the ball across the goal. And of course, Carlo comes in and scores. So I think that gave us a little bit of a fill-up at the time because we were, we were kind of mid-table, um, it gave us a lift. It's another, you know, whether you like it or not, it's silverware for the likes of Carlo, but more importantly, on the day for the likes of Gary Warren, who, you know, had missed out on the League Cup final, missed out in the Scottish Cup final, despite the fact that people say it was only the Challenge Cup final. It allowed Gary to, to pick up the trophy, um, uh, which was fantastic for him and everybody on the day. And, and, and it does. Once you, you know, it's, it's a competition that you kind of think it's not a disaster if you go out early. But the later you get into the tournament, you start to think, well, you know, we're here, let's go all the way and win it. You know, it gave us a lift and it, and it did. It, it was a springboard for, I think, after that we went eight wins and three draws the last 11 games of the season. And as I say, we failed only because of a late goal against Unferman. But you could see then that we were starting to get the blend that we wanted. We had some good, experienced players. We had some exciting young players. And it was finding the next target for the following season was to find some of those those middle-aged players. Cole Donaldson, another classic example, uh, chased out of Dundee, Dundee United, who went from Livingston to QPR for big money, back to Dundee United, chased out of Dundee United, told he was the worst defender in Scottish football. We brought him up, we calmed him down, we got him settled in, and he was an absolutely terrific player for us. Uh, oh. And again, that's the mould, that's the secret, that's the DNA, and I've said it before, uh, that's the DNA that Steve Parkson started. You can see that next season, John, because I was thinking, looking at, obviously, it was a successful season, getting to the semi-finals of the Cup at Hamden. I mean, getting to, obviously, the playoffs against Dundee United. But even before the season started, it goes back to you talking about Billy Dodds, about prepping for next season. Because you'd basically, you'd shown when he signed up early doors, I'm sure he was a pre-contract. Yep. Tom Walsh was in early. I think even 
even Angus Beath, I know that never worked out, and it's, it's a shame, but I'm sure, that, I'm sure those boys were in real early, around about May yeah, time, really. but that's the thing, is that we knew, as I say, we started to look at what we needed and, and, and the age group that we're looking for. And, you know, David Raven um, had obviously, we, his contract run out in the, the January. Uh, we had Colin Seedorf in, doing okay. He was doing okay, Colin, but hadn't really settled. So we, we felt we needed a new right-back. We brought Cole Donaldson, thought he was doing very, very well uh, at the time. You know, we had Gary, who was still in the contract. Carlo was still playing. Um, and and that's the that's where we looked at. We needed wide men. Um, we knew, you know, the Jake Mulraney one was, whilst Jake was one that pleased the crowd, and um, we felt at times he, he didn't offer enough in the last third. But the big thing that a lot of people didn't realise was that Jake Mulraney's contract, because the way it had been written, um, was that his wages would have doubled in the last year of his contract. So that that would have made him not far off the top paid player at the club. And we just felt that that's not something we could sustain in the, in the championship. So we obviously we, we looked at the swap deal with a selling percentage, which came back and was a very, very good uh, decision um, to to add that to the, the contract, despite the fact we were swapping with Angus Beath. The Angus Beath thing was unfortunate for the lad, but down the line we got some really good money in for Jake. But we had to start doing that. And that's what I'm saying is, and the fans... As I said before, get frustrated. But they've got to understand the, the way it works. Is that we cannot get involved in a bidding war because if it comes to a bidding war, we won't win. We've got to try and sell the club early, get them in early, and have them tied up before the end of the season. Similar as I said, um, so that's why we started to get them in. So we brought Sean Rooney in, and Sean was one I always thought that it's funny as, as an opposition manager when he was at Queen of the South. Sean was one who was always dangerous when. Queen the South were attacking, but you felt you could get them uh, when we were attacking. But the option that we looked at was that if we could improve Sean's defensive side, then his natural attacking instincts would be fine. And that's what we've done. We worked on it. And I know a lot of fans at first thought, oh, don't fancy this boy, don't fancy this boy. He then became quite an iconic player, um, a bit of a cult hero, and has since gone on to do exactly the same for St. Johnson. But he's, he was a player that, Again, it's encapsulated what we wanted, a, a good, energetic player was prepared to get forward and attack, a da- dangerous in, in the box uh, for set plays, and, and won over the fans. He won over the fans. And, but aligned with that was the other side, which is probably the hardest part of a manager's job. And, it, and it's, a, it's the bit where you probably get most criticism from fans, um, is that whilst we're bringing in new, young, fresh blood and the likes of uh, of Sean Rooney and Tom Walsh's uh, and then ultimately Jamie McCart um, of the Worlds. You have to, you have to, to unfortunately, that sees the departure of some real club heroes. Um, David Draven, as, as we know, we've mentioned it was, a, it was a tough one, but I said that we, we felt that we had Seedorf and, you know, David was 33 at the time and he wasn't going to play. Um, as often as he would like so we let the contract run out and he was very understandable about it then again with Gary Warren and again Gary had a similar contract to Jake where the, in the third year's contract his money was just frightening um, and we had to we had to make that and not on a, a personal basis not on a, a a quality of player basis it was purely a financial basis but when you lose guys who have such a great standing at the club um, and who have been real heroes at the club, 
and brought the Scottish Cup and European football to the club. The fans don't understand why we get rid of them, why we get rid of them. They're our favourite players, our favourite players. I get that, 100% get it. You ask any manager, any other club, that's the hardest part. Is that At some stage, you have to say, these guys have got to go. Mainly because for us at the moment, it was a, it was a financial situation. We simply could not sustain it. Um, but sometimes uh, their age, the aspect of it, we had a, a game with Carlo being the, the, the last of them, was that we had a decision to make. Did we offer Carlo a new contract or did we push forward with Cameron Harper? Um, and the decision was that we felt that Cameron was at the stage where he needed to play. Um, so again, it wasn't a decision that went down well with Carlo. We understand that. It wasn't a great, it wasn't a decision that went down well with the fans. We understand that, but that's that's has to happen at some stage. Um, and as I said, it's, it's, it's not a nice part of the game and players at the time never take it well because um, they always feel they could keep going. And then in these cases, it's, it's understandable as well. But it's a tough one and it, it doesn't go down well with the supporters. Um, but they've got to understand that there's, you know, there, there's a shelf life for every player at some stage, but there's also a financial shelf life that the longer we stay in the championship, the harder it is to keep lads that have been here for that long, um, especially lads who have had Premier League contracts that, that dropped into the Championship. It's probably the second hardest part of a, manager, a manager's job is to, is to tell guys like that, that that it's the end of the road or you have to move them on for whatever reason. The hardest part is still the same, and it's this time of year that happens, is you have to tell the younger lads, the, the 17, 18, 19-olds who have barely kicked the ball and anger in the first team, they haven't made it. You know, at least I know David Raven, Carlo and Gary had a, a long, fulfilling career and done a lot of things, played in cup finals, won trophies, played in Europe, uh, captained the club. Um, so you can you can understand that, you know, they've they've done something. Uh, mm-hmm. But to let a young lad go um, after two, three years training, knowing that he's not quite ready for the standards that we need, that once he gets out under 18 team, he has to be first team ready or nearly first team ready. Um, or have the potential to to kick on within the next couple of years. Um, that's always the heartbreaking part because you feel like you've just ripped the boys' dreams apart. Um, and you always say the same thing, you know, I won't be the first manager to let somebody go. Please go out there and prove me wrong. Please please make it in two or three years' time. I'm coming back to get you to re-sign you for Inverness because I've made a mistake. Um, and that's the hardest bit. When you, 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 can see the, you can see the tears in these lads' eyes. And it's very, very emotional and it's very, very difficult to deal with. But again, it's the parts that the fans don't see um, that you've got to, you've got to make a, a, a call on. Um, and, it's, and it's not always an easy call uh, to make. what the hell? How you doing? No water cell for shitty weather, drugs and pissness. Inverness is a fucking business. What did Tarzan see when he found a screwdriver? Well, looking at that season, John, I think, if look at all your signings, I mean, pretty much every one of them was a success. I mean, there's maybe one or two referees. I mean, I didn't really work out for Darren McCauley coming over from Ireland, and I think he off the field issues that we know about. But, yeah, most of the players brought in, some are still there, and some have moved on and done well. That season as a whole, then, I mean, sorry, John, it's the season as a whole, Scottish Cup semi-final, um, obviously just finishing the, the end in the playoffs, and I think we ran out of steam. I think we were just knackered at the end. Surely that must have been a... A success for you, you can. Yeah, it's the, that the aspect of us personally. I was hugely disappointed because my focus was quite simple. I wanted the club back in the Premier League. 
Um, I know I know the history that we have with the Scottish Cup. Um, and it, it's bizarre because as a championship side, again, the, the further that you go in the, in the Scottish Cup, the harder it becomes for you because you have to pack in games midweek towards the end of the season. And as you say, you get to the playoffs and there's, you're hit with a barrel of the games. But if, if you look towards the end of that season, say we brought Darren in in, in the January and initially hit the ground running, you looked good, he was a big, strong player. Um, and then, as I said, I think moving away from his family, it didn't quite settle. Um, and he's still come on and, and done bits and bobs here and there. But if you looked at the, the rest of the team, it was starting to evolve. You know, we had Mark Ridgers, our, our back forwards, it was Rooney, Donaldson, uh, McCart and Carlo Caltramarco. Um, you know, with, with the midfield boys, uh, with Joe Chalmers um, sitting in, in the middle of the park, um, with the likes of, you know, with Nathan Austin, who who done fits and starts had done well, but you had, you had Jordan White um, up front, Tom Walsh, Aaron Dorn, all, all playing very, very well. Um, and that aspect, as I say, at the time was that we were, we were going in the right direction, we were playing well, um, with some, you know, a great cup run. You know, I mean, all nearly unravelled in the first round against the third round against Edinburgh City, because <laughs> yeah. we were cruising, we lose a late goal, and then Vernier lost one in injury time. Um, mm-hmm. But we picked up, done the the Dunwich Scott forward, knocked County out after two wonderful games, beating United at uh, and comfortably beating United in the cup there. And as I say, it's fine lines because you go back the Scottish Cup, um, there was nothing in the game. Then Charlie Trafford lost a wee bit of discipline. They're supposed to be picking up Jake Mulraney at the corner. Didn't uh, they get Hearts get a goal? But then we come back and you know you, you see you see the difference. Joe Chalmers hits an exquisite free kick. The the lads Amal gets fingertips to it. it. It comes off the underside of the bar. Five minutes later, they score a goal that um, at the time's given offside. We then find out that it was knocked back by that by Jake. Um, so therefore, the goal should have stood. That was how close it was. And they end up winning three, you know, people say, oh, it's comfortable, it's comfortable. It's that five minute, that five minute spell changed everything. You know, say we could have been ahead, you know, even more so if, if Charlie Trafford picks up the Jake Moreno, we don't lose the first goal, we could have been 2 0 up. But, you know, we, we come away from there desperately disappointed um, because I didn't think, you know, I thought we just, just didn't get the wee bit of rub the green you required. Uh, but we, we, we didn't let it hit us and we, we carried on into to the playoffs aspects of it and, you know, comfortably over the legs beat United, but there were two tough matches. And then even the first half against Dun United, I thought we were in you know, complete control of that game. We've hit the post, we've had a couple of chances saved. And again, you talk about big moments. Liam Paul was sent off for a nothing challenge. Um, they then, you know, they, their shot goes in off the post and so they've got a... They've played 45 minutes against 10 men, roughly. And then going down there, we said to players, look, big ask, let's shoot down the, the, the slope first half, try and get a goal. Uh, and if we get the goal, I'm telling you right now, guys, the 11,500 Dun United fans will absolutely brick it. And the pressure then comes on to Dun United. We could have been two, three, maybe even four up by half time, the chances that we had and saves made, balls ricocheting here and stopped on the line. And then we, we fall fell to another ridiculous. Um, decision where the ball is hammered at Brad Bakai, deflects off his leg onto his arm. Okay. The referee gives it an act that was like a balloon bursting. When boys come at half-time, they're feeling their hamstrings, they were feeling their thighs. And uh, as, he done yet, he'd, as you would expect, they've come out, scored a couple of quick ones, and then just, that was it, the game over. And it's actually bizarre because the following season, 
we were talking about the new rules for the penalties, which, which said if you make yourself big and the ball ricochets off you, but you've made yourself big, it will be a penalty. The bizarre thing was they used the Brad Mackay incident as an example of the new uh, rule that if it hit you. And we're saying, well, if that's the new rule, would that have been a penalty? No, it shouldn't have been a penalty. It was a penalty. So, as I say, that kind of went against us again. But and, and, it, and it does prove one thing, that the playoffs are still hugely difficult for the teams that finished third and fourth. No team in the history of the playoffs finishing third or fourth has ever gone up. And the reason's there to see. It's impossible to play six matches. It was a, it was a very, very good season, um, but hugely frustrating, as I say, because I feel we should have at least got to the... I felt on the day we could have got a bit of luck, we could have got the cup final. And I said, apart from you know two massive decisions, the poll were sending off and the Brad McKay penalty, you could have been going into the last 45 minutes at Tannadice, nil-nil on aggregate, with the pressure on name in front of 11,500 fans to, to, to produce something and for us to nick it. But um, I felt at that time we were really heading in the right direction with a really good, strong squad of, of 15, 16 players. Uh, and that if we just got that little bit of extra quality in, that we could uh, move up further, which is exactly what we did the following season. If you look at the next season, I think it's still a part. There was a lot of changes. I think a few boys come in. I think James Keaton's come in early. We'd send him a pre, didn't we? And then, like, so Vinny coming back, and then you get, like, so Carson, who you spoke about earlier, and Toddy coming in. But it's it's, it's probably a, a soft refresh, if you put it that way. We are not... Yeah, well, we felt, as you it. say, when you look at the squad at that time, and you look at the starting, the starting 11 and the, and the sort of semi-final and the, the uh, playoff games, you, you had the likes of, say, Matt Ridgers and goal, Sean Rooney, Cole Dawson... Uh, Jamie McCart, Carl Tremarco, then you had the likes of uh, Joe Chalmers, Liam Polworth um, in midfield, and then the likes of, say, Tom Walsh, uh, Jordan White, uh, Aaron Doran, uh, etc. So we felt that, our, again, our squad of 14-15 were very, very strong, uh, and that what we needed, again, was the, the next, to make the competition in the squad high, um, that was the care. James Keane, we felt, could add that little bit of quality. He hadn't played for a while, so we wanted to um, make sure we could get him as fit as we can. We did that over the two years, and he sh- it showed when he was fit the, the quality he could bring. Um, obviously, we'd lo- we lost the likes of Charlie Trafford, who had went to Hamilton. Um, so, we, you know, you, again, you're having to replace others with others. We felt Carson could come in and do the job that Charlie Trafford was doing. And again, it goes back to my aspects of team building. A lot of people questioned whether I could build a team. Um, and I think I've proved over the last four seasons that I can. And I've got an eye for player and an eye for a bargain because the other aspect of it as well is that you, you look at the sales for and against. Um, I think I spent a total of £8,000. Um, £3,000 for Charlie Trafford, £5,000 for Sean Rooney. And we've got back in sales in the same period since I've come back are about four, seven, five. We've got to get players in for next to nothing and then try and get the best price we can when they go out. And that's and I say that's what we've managed to do. You look at the money that we managed to negotiate for the likes of, of Ross Draper, um, the, the percentage of sale on worked really well for us with Jake Mulraney, although there wasn't an initial fee. Cole Donaldson, George Oakley, Charlie Trafford, um, Jamie McCart. Uh, Daniel Mackay uh, recently has, has spiked everything up. So that is another aspect of it. All this helps um, 
keep the the club going and and allows you know various other departments as well to to function because I say we're a very very small team at the stadium here, but everybody looks after each other. Everybody works extremely hard. Um, from Christine and Maver and and Evelyn, uh, Fiona, uh, Derek and Dave, everybody you know, the, uh, Jack, uh, the kit lad, all the coaches, everybody works extremely hard. Um, and we've now got a real leader in Scott Gardner um, to take things forward. So, you know, it's important that everybody works their socks off. And, and there's a lot of things. That's one thing I learned at Hearts, the amount of work that goes on in the background to allow games to go ahead. Simple things. You don't have hot and cold running water, the game doesn't go ahead. If your tannoy system is not working, the game doesn't go ahead. There's loads of things that people have got to be getting on with and make sure it's right. Um, and that's pre-COVID. That's not since COVID, um, as I say. So... You know, we felt at the start of that season, um, bring bring players in, bring more players in, wheel and deal, uh, get the quality required uh, to get us up there. And as I said, again, um, it became a, a very successful uh, season in terms of, of league finishing. And again, you go through the matches, the match against Dun United were nothing in them. And again, that wee bit of luck, that wee decision uh, went their way and allowed them to get away. And we dropped silly points, uh, silly games that, important points um, for that consistency. But with, you know, with the league suspended, we were in prime position to get that, you know, uh, very, very important second spot because we were well clear in the, in the playoff positions ahead of, that were, you know, just ahead of Dundee and Dea. But in prime positions, I say, to finish second because finishing second um, gives you a massive, massive opportunity. At the at the end of the season, John, I mean, there was all this chat about reconstruction. Do you think that was time was right to look at bigger leagues and obviously it would benefit it does? But yeah, I, I think it, off, it offered an, an opportunity because we we talk about it year in year out that there's something that has to change, and I and I agree. Uh, we've when when I was working the BBC, I spoke about this on many many times, going right back. So historically, I can I can say that I've been a fan of reconstruction and. You had to be wary because the position we were in and the initial reconstruction plans, it looked like we would benefit from it. Ourselves and Hearts would go up. There'd be no relegation. And all things being fair and all things being equal and the famous SFA, SBFL statement at the time that we should do no more harm to clubs under this pandemic, it would have felt that was the fairest way to do is to put everybody up, uh, bring up Kelty, bring up Brora and relegate no one. So, but as a club, you know, we felt we had to do the right thing, um, which was do no harm. Uh, we didn't think Hearts should be relegated, we didn't think Partick should be relegated, we didn't think Sunrath should be relegated, and we didn't think Broad or Kelty should be punished. When you go into the reconstruction aspect, it seemed, it seemed the, the fairest thing to do, the obvious thing to do. We then had the shenanigans of the vote that has now come out, and the, the SFA announced, SPF announced that they did receive the vote, so... If they did receive the vote, then why was it why was it not counted? Um, it's still we'll never get to the bottom of that, unfortunately. Um, and it's it's probably the stage now where there's no point bothering about it anymore because it's gone. Um, but at the time, I I said publicly at the time that I felt 
Scottish football had an opportunity to do what everybody else in the continent has been doing for years um, and go to a regional, regional, uh, regionalised leagues where you would have a top division of 12, um, a second, a championship of 12, and then split into four um, regions, north, south, east, west. Mm-hmm. Everywhere in the mainland, Europe has got that. They all have regional leagues, Germany, France, Spain, Italy, Norway, Sweden, every, everybody. And I felt we could have re-established the, the Highland League um, and brought, you know, basically as the North League, with Lice Elgin and Peterhead joining that again, under the current positions they finished. An East League, basically, from the south of Aberdeen, where Cove or for Martin would have a decision, would it be North or East for them? But basically from the south of Aberdeen right down to the Fourth Road Bridge. So all the Angus clubs, all the five clubs that want to be involved there. The South League, obviously, over the bridge um, towards Edinburgh and the and the borders. And again, a line drawn somewhere around Stirling. So the Allos, the full, uh, the Allos would be in the South League and the Airdrie's would be in the West League. Um, and my vision was was quite simple that you would you would have um, t- um, two up two down um, from the Premier League uh, with a, th- a third playoff spot, um, or even you know dare I say along the lines of the moment, but make it knockout so that top went up, bottom came down, and then um, second bottom, second and third play, second third and fourth played in semi finals and a neutral final. I just think the neutral final when you see it happen in England is absolutely fabulous. I would. I would think there'd be nothing better than than have the two semis home and away, then the final neutral. Um, same again um, um, in the in the so for the championship. So the bottom team of the championship would go into a playoff, uh, basically. And what my vision was that the winners of North, South, East, and West would come together. Um, there would be a draw made. They would play a home and away semi final again, another one-off final. And the winners of that one-off final would play a one-off game against the bottom team in the championship for that spot. Mm-hmm. And the reason I thought it would invigorate the game and make it more exciting was that, can you imagine teams right now, and I think Elgin, our neighbours Elgin, are as good an example as ever. They've been in the league since, I think, around about the millennium, around about the millennium, but they've never got out League Two. Um, there's likes of teams like Brora, etc., who are putting a bit of money in, Kelly Hearts, Bonnery Goals are putting a bit of money in. Can you imagine turning around to a chairman right now in the Highland League and saying, well, you can put your money in, and at very, very best, you'll have to win the Highland League, then win the playoff, then win League Two, League One, um, to get the championship, take you four or five years. Mm-hmm. Whereas you could turn around to them and say, one good season, yeah. one good season, and you could be in the championship. If you win your regional league, win your playoffs and then beat the bottom team in the championship, you are in the championship. Once you get sort of new money in here and people thinking, wow, if I put a bit of money in here, I could get to the championship very, very quickly. But the other aspect of it as well is the the regional leagues promote derbies. Yeah. So you've got, we, I, I spoke to Graham Tatters many occasions, he, he's saying that they got as big a crowd for the, the local derby in the North Cup against uh, Lossiemouth than they would for any other league games because it's right next door, obviously, uh, the same before us or, or any of those teams. And that's that's the aspect of it. Suddenly, so in the East, you know, you've got four Angus derbies, you know, and it happened a couple of seasons ago and the crowds went through the roof in League One because you had Forfar um, and Troes are both in Brecon in the same league. Um, so there's less travelling for the fans, more local derbies, which means bigger crowds, 
um, all over the, all over the regional leagues, and then you're, you'd have the two full time leagues um, playing out there. So it allowed for a, a very very quick progression up and down the pyramid. Unfortunately, what happened, as we saw, was there was a bitter civil war. Um, a lot of things said by a lot of clubs against us, which was was wrong, um, um, and we were portrayed to be the bad boys uh, because we didn't vote the way everybody expected us to vote, and because we we were one of the people that showed that the Dundee vote had gone through and had been received. Um, so it was it was a real you know it was a real again you talk about a bit of luck it was a real kick in, in the nether regions that we we didn't finish that season second with a real chance of going up on the back of again another good run. And that led us, unfortunately, into a situation that no one could possibly have foreseen coming. God, the last time we came about, I was at was Aloha away, but that was the Saturday before the midweek closure. I mean, I mean, I remember preparing to go to Abros the Saturday. I'm sure it was the Friday afternoon that we got told that obviously it was postponed. I know you kept the players busy as much as you can. I think you were doing some deliveries in the summer, ice creams, doing walks and stuff. But as a manager, what can you do? Were the players coming out to train, or was it just shut down? Or no, the, the, we. we the initial aspect was it of we, we we were the same as everybody else. It was it was lockdown. It was it was simple and straightforward as that. So there was no training. We weren't allowed to train. We were no longer allowed to you know the way we work. We we assemble at the stadium, um, and then we take the minibuses out to Fort George to train. And come back, boys have their lunch here. And what what's great for that is that we become a real team with the staff. Yeah. We talk with Christine, Evelyn, Maeva. Liam, Derek, and uh, Fiona, etc. So we, we, there's a, a good uh, business relationship, friendship there because we all know each other, we all work together, we, we, we all get to know what's happening with, with all our families. Then suddenly that was not allowed. You wouldn't let it come in. So we we had to, to have a look at it and think, right, what we're going to do here. But again, preparation didn't stop. You were still looking to bring players in. You were still looking to improve the squad, um, which was got, which was coming harder because we again we'd improved to, to finish second. Uh, we knew hearts were coming down and then you're left between a rock and a hard place where the club were going, we knew the club were going to be hit uh, financially because of the, the the lack of fans coming to games and we knew hearts were going to spend big and did. I mean, the budget was 10 times, at least 10 times more. Uh, Dundee would be four or five times more easily. Um, so we, we knew we were going to be up against it. So we, we had to look at, you know, do we, again, do we push the young players on? Uh, hence the reason we had to make the tough decision with Carlo and mm-hmm. Cameron. And we felt we were at the stage where we could bring in two or three, but really, really push the the young lads, the three young lads in particular, um, to be part of the first team squad. And it would still give us an opportunity to compete at the top end of the table. Um, maybe not for the title because of the money Hearts and Dundee were spending, but certainly compete up there to be right in the playoffs, but without, again, leaving ourselves exposed to, to any finances and saying that the board done you know I've, I felt for sure that the budget was going to be cut because of the, the pandemic but the board managed to work wonders and, and managed to, to keep the budget exactly the same so that was a decision we made um, again pre-season was horrendous because we had to go out and we had to, we had to corner off a part of Fort George to make sure that the players all had their own parking bay make sure that it was all two metres apart and we had to organise the training where we each player had to have their own 20 by 20 meter box. So we had all that mapped out the training field. So each player had to warm up in their own box. They had to do any technical work in that box. 
um, we could take them up to the to the uh, track that we'd measured out, and we could run them at various uh, differences away to, to keep. So the fitness part was no problem. The technical part was difficult because for for ten days we were not allowed to. They weren't allowed to be in the same box, so you had to work out a way to get players to pass the ball sort of kind of twenty meters apart. And we had to bring them in in two groups. So we had one group arriving at nine o'clock in the morning for a nine fifteen start. So they had to have they had to drive in, they had to get the temperatures taken, had to fill in a questionnaire, park their car, and then go to the designated box that they had. So we had twelve boys training in the morning um, at ten at, at nine o'clock, nine fifteen. They had to be clear by ten forty five. The second group would come in at eleven to train at eleven fifteen. They would train right through until uh, quarter to one. The first group would then come back for their afternoon session at one o'clock and would train to two o'clock and the second group would come back at quarter past two to train at quarter past three. That bearing in mind mean, meant that uh, Becky Mossett uh, and Dougal Sim, the physios, myself, Scott Kellicker, Barry Wilson and uh, Ryan Essen had to be at the training ground for 8.30 and weren't leaving the, the training ground because after the training we had to uh, disinfect every single ball, every single cone, every single pole, every single uh, goal that we were used. So we were getting back to the stadium uh, about five o'clock. Um, and when you're outside all day, not sitting down and taking these sessions, trust me, it, it's a long, long time. So we, we had all that to do with it. And then we had the aspect of uh, pre-season games with the Highland League not actually... They were about to start, but they couldn't start. They weren't sure if they were going to start. So we had to organise matches. But again, we were going to Nairn County and we had to change in the in the enclosure opposite the main stand because obviously you had to be socially distanced. Um, Clark, we, we changed here upstairs and individually drove round. So even try to find pre-season friendly games were fraught with difficulties um, because of how you had to play. Obviously, we played Elgin away, we played Elgin at home. Um, and again, our location, we weren't allowed to, to move out the region. We actually had to get Scottish government permission to play Elgin away in a pre-season friendly because they were in Murray yeah. and we were leaving the region. Um, so that gave us a problem. We couldn't play Ross County because they were a testing club at the time and we weren't because we'd organised a home and away game against County. That was kibosh because again, we weren't testing, they were, uh, because of their rules. So it was just, and then eventually they decided that we were going to start back in October. So we, at the time in the summer, we had, we had chatted to the players about their health and well-being, which is quite ironic to, to what happened in the end. Um, and we organised two days a week. So we'd bring them up on a, the players from the Central Belt up, up the road, Tuesday, Wednesdays, um, to do health and well-being. So we had organised days to play tennis, we'd organised to play days to play golf, we'd organised bikes, so we went on 30 mile uh, bike runs, the players did, not me, I can assure you, um, <laughs> but we had them going from like say, uh, the stadium down to doors, up the back road, uh, we had them going from, the, we went down to Abbey Moor, we cycled from the McDonald's Hotel up to the Venecula Railway and back, uh, and then the last one was from the UHI campus all the way out to Codder on the back roads and all the way back in again. Uh, we had a young girl, an Indonesian girl, who came up from Edinburgh to, to yoga with the players. It wasn't so much the physical aspect, it was the mental aspect, because what, what the players was to get out of the house um, and chat to the other players, 
to to understand that they weren't you know the problems that we're having, the difficulties we're having. There was they were going through the same thing. We we bagged them in row uh, with Ben Ben with us. We went up Ben with us. Well, again the players did. I only got about a third of the way up. Um, so we were doing all these things to keep them going. We also felt at the time we had a, a huge responsibility to the community to support them. Yeah. Hence the reason we had a very successful delivery of provisions to our, our older um, supporters. We've, we all know at Inverness, the present company accepted Stevie, that we've, we've got a very ageing support. Um, so we managed to get round them and, and get as much stuff, which went down very, very well. Later on in summer, we had a tremendous partnership with Mealy's and we were, the, myself, uh, James Keaton, Scott Kellicar, Matt Ridgers, we were going around delivering ice cream to the Inverness Cali Thistle fans to just to say hello, just to talk to them, just to show a different voice. And we felt that was important, as I say, going forward because everybody was going through a very, very tough time. Whilst all that was going on, we were getting reams and reams and reams of protocols for back to training, back to playing. Players, you know, the, the main stand was immediately ruled out because players had to sit certain distances apart. Um, we had to change. The only room big enough for us to change in was the Kingsmill Lounge. We then had to adapt the uh, sports bar into the away changing room uh, for the away team uh, and all sorts of things like that. Said. And going on, we still, you know, things that people don't understand, we still had to try and find venues for pre-match meals all the yeah. hotels are shut all the restaurants are shut so we had to think out the box on how we could possibly do it we had to make sure that we were distanced properly in the bus um, anywhere we stopped we had to send players in one or two at a time uh, so that was a real a real challenge then we had the ludicrous decision where players could not shower after games that's fine again if you're based central belt that's fine you can be back from Arbroath to Glasgow in an hour you can be back to Edinburgh within an hour Five central belt, you know, 40 minutes, 45 minutes here and there. We are a minimum, a minimum three hours from our nearest game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Morton game was probably the classic in January. It was pouring with rain. It was a muddy pitch. Our players had to sit with mud caked on their, on their bodies all the way home to, before they could get a shower back in the house. Um, so again, there was mental uh, aspects of that, well-being aspects of that. They were to deal with, we, we were trying to work out again Sports science people will tell you nutrition after the game is huge. How do we get food into the, the, the players' body? Nothing's open. Normally you'd get pizzas. A lot of people think it's a, it's a bonus that the boys get pizzas after games. It's the best thing for them. It gets uh, carbohydrates, etc., into the body very, very quickly uh, to res- restore what they've lost in a game. That wasn't available anymore. Um, we were fortunate that our director, Liam Dugano, who has Subway franchises, was, was organising Subways for the players after the games. Um, again, that was another aspect. At one stage, the SPFL were actually looking at not allowing any teams to take buses to away games, which we, again, then pointed out that you know we, we would have to take the players and the staff, that would mean 24, 25 buses, every cars, travelling down the A9. Players came back injured, not injured per se, but they, all they'd done for four or five months was running around the streets, running around the streets, running the streets. So they all ended up with uh, what's called runner's knee. Uh, so it was a strain on the ligament. So we lost like David Carson for four or five months. We lost Aaron Doran. Every single senior pro was injured. And I think against the United, we had about nine uh, for the home game against the United sitting in the stand. Um, we gave the players diaries. We were on them. Every two weeks, we took the diaries off them. 
to make sure that they were filming it and we had to know exactly where they were. Did you go and fill your car full of petrol? What station did you go to? When did you go to Tesco's? Who did you see? Who did you bump into? We had to record all that and then we had to keep an eye on all that. Um, on top of continue to train. We then eventually got back to where you could train as a squad. Still had to travel individually out there. You still had to take their own, they had to take their own kit back and wash it. Um, none of that could be done through the club. Um, and as I say, so all these things were going and you, you had to obviously get into the matches um, and cope with away matches uh, on top of it. And as I say, we, I had got to the stage in December where I, I, I couldn't understand why the, the pandemic was the worst it had ever been and we were still playing football. Mm-hmm. having cancelled it in March. Now, that, I didn't want it stopped. I wasn't looking for it to get stopped. Um, I was just questioning why we stopped in March and the, the death rates had tripled, quadrupled, the cases had tripled, quadrupled, and yet they were asking football players to continue playing for the health and well-being of the rest of the country. I get that. I understand that and I know how huge it was. But what about the health and well-being of my players and the well-being of my staff and the well-being of their family? Because... By travelling all over the country and eating and eventually eating in restaurants and hotels, we had, we, I was really concerned we were going to be bringing something back to our families, bringing something back to our region. Our region got off lucky uh, in terms of that well, there weren't many uh, deaths and I, and I heartfelt sorry for those who did die in the region. It's horrendous. And yet here we were driving all over the country to come back and I was worried sick we were bringing something back to a couple of players' wives were pregnant. Uh, obviously, the young lads were have granddads and grannies and aunties and uncles who were about the place and, and they were still dropping off things for them. And as I say, it just, for me, um, it was difficult. And then, obviously, we had that run where there was no games. You know, they, they lost, you know, Wraith Rovers because they had 25 out of 26 players out with COVID. Uh, Arbroath was a frozen pitch. Morton was postponed because it was wet. Then they tried to rush the Scottish Cup through. That killed us for four matches because we had to bucky match two preference and we couldn't play it, couldn't play it, couldn't play it, couldn't play it. And eventually that was cancelled and then suddenly it's redone later. Uh, and bad on that fact, as I say at the time, down the road, I, I had four siblings who unfortunately have all got cancer issues. Tragically, we lost one um, and that was bad enough. But we then had to also look at the rest of them to make sure they were okay because they hadn't been getting checked. One of my sons, uh, or both of my sons, had given birth to granddaughters. Uh, the partner was giving birth to granddaughters. One of them had got married. So we had all that on top of that as well. I hadn't been out, hadn't seen anybody, hadn't seen anything at all. Couldn't do anything with them, as I say. And it just it just got too much. It was trying, I took on far too much. Um, you know, that's a fault of my own. I should have delegated a bit more but I was just so at the fact that I didn't want anybody to anything bad to happen to anybody else that I yeah. took the ball uh, completely took the eye off the ball and myself um, and it just got to the stage that I wasn't being me I was getting irritable I was getting snappy but I was doing it to help everybody else to make sure everybody else was safe and eventually we you know I had a chat with Scott and I, I think my, I'd say I spoke to my sister on a Tuesday she was taken in on, on the Wednesday just for a, a general scan. Um, they found that the, the cancer that she had had, had spread to her whole body and by 12 o'clock on the Thursday she died. Um, and that, that was it, unfortunately. I had to then realise um, that I had to take a step back. Um, I had to take a step away from football because, unfortunately, 
Um, there are more important things in life. Um, you don't always think that way when you're in football. You don't always think that way as a fan. I certainly didn't think that was a manager. Um, but it was evident then that I had to do uh, to do something and step away. Uh, I had a good chat with Scott. We, we came up with a plan very quickly on the way back from Air United. Spoke about the possibility. We spoke about uh, a name. Um, and thankfully, we got that name. We got Neil. Neil was terrific. Um, he was... A was his concern for me was was tremendous, and he'd done it as a favour. He'd done it to come up here, um, to keep things going, to try and help me get the time I needed to to recover. Thankfully, as I say, the, the lads cracked on again, done very well in the Scottish Cup. Unlucky, again, you know, again we were one of the last teams standing for the championship. Tremendous run, Dennis. It was very similar to four years ago, just right at the death. You know, nick a wee win at, at, at Queens. Hang on with nine men under trying sessions, but hang on to that three points. We're in the playoffs, um, or, or be here, would have been there. It was just exactly the same thing. We had the momentum going, we just didn't quite. And it, and it was, it was too, you know, I think it was taken away from us in those that run from Boxing Day right the way through to the beginning of February. We, we, we didn't play a game, we, I think we played two games in seven or eight weeks, um, and the boys done terrifically well. Um, so you know, I'm I can't speak enough for for Neil McCann and Billy Dodds and the the job that they've done under hugely trying circumstances. We lost Scott Kellicker at, at Christmas time um, through um, a, a previous illness that he's had, a previous complaint he's had, and then he caught long COVID, um, and and so that was tough going as well. And again, probably took far too much on myself. Um, so I had to step back and, and with the help of, of, of Carrie, um, the, the doctor who, ex-Hearts doctor who has helped Inverness out in the away games, uh, her husband Raj and Karen Gibson uh, at Physio, to to take a complete break from the game. And it was quite brutal um, where I had basically one hour to tell all my family down the road, all my friends, um, that I would be coming off my phone for eight weeks. I wouldn't be available I wasn't allowed to watch football on TV. I wasn't allowed to watch football live. I wasn't allowed to watch training. I wasn't allowed to read about it on, on tabloids or iPad. There was no football whatsoever. It was a complete reset button. Um, whilst we, we looked into uh, the various aspects of, of um, why I wasn't feeling so well. Um, and that was tough going, uh, but it was needed. Um, I'd got to the stage at night where I was only sleeping one, maybe two hours a night. Uh, for about three months uh, prior to that. So the first aspect was to try and get my, my sleeping uh, patterns back. Um, and the reason the non-sleeping was just the the aspects of pressure on not, you know, making sure my players didn't catch anything, making sure I didn't get bring in, making sure that you know, my wife's asthmatic. I'm worried I'm bringing it home to Sally, who could have underlying uh, complications. So that's what I'm saying. I mean, is You're still then... Um, thinking about your tactics, you're thinking about your training, you're thinking about your your team. Uh, so all that on top of the the, the aspects of of COVID and making sure everybody was okay was two, as I say, two maybe three hours sleep a night, um, and it takes it toll. It's as simple as that. So mm-hmm. thankfully we got the without going too deep in it, we got the sleeping patterns right. Um, I started to speak to to Carrie and, a, and a, a Simon Petrie from Perth, who was in tremendous help. Um, and ongoing, um, mm-hmm. and obviously we got to a stage where we we had to look at the season. You know that the aspect of it was we we spoke about this 
position before. Um, and the the club who've been tremendous. I can't, again, I've missed that aspect, but Scott Gardner, the chairman, uh, Ross Morrison, and the board have been hugely supportive um, whilst I've been going through the, 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 these troubles. And we spoke about this role possibly um, next year uh, with, with the angle of it because it's obviously still had another year to go. But um, with the, you know, uh, the ongoing um, treatment that I'm, that I'm going to be doing anyway, um, we couldn't put a definitive date on when I could come back to, to football as manager. Um, I felt it was huge, going to be hugely unfair in the club um, to have to wait and, and see if everything was going to be all right pre-season. Um, and as I say, Scott and the board came back with, with an option of looking at this um, and we decided that for the benefit of the club, uh, for the benefit of the players, for the benefit of the team, um, that this was um, a way forward that helped everybody. You know, it, it would help uh, the board, it would help various aspects of the club that, that we spoke, speak about, various projects that required um, someone to head up um, uh, and, and, and go down the route of a new head coach to freshen up things. So that was the decision that was made, um, and and that's where we find ourselves today. A lot of divulge there, but I was just it was, it was good listening to you, John. I mean, I think all fans, all teams, are the same. You just expect you're the guy that puts the team in the party. You don't think of these jobs that you were doing. Like, I mean, the, the amount of time you're spending the training practice, I didn't know that was that was a thing. That's crazy, and you've you've, you've got to worry. I mean, my my other half, she's pregnant, and I worry about it. And I've got I've had an injection. I just I worry about her picking up something. So. We, You've got to do that for all the players as well, and it's yeah, it's eye-opening for me to hear that, John. And uh, well, that's the aspect of it. See, there's 24 players plus your staff that you're looking at, yeah. and they say we had to, we, we still had to go through the aspects of getting the players trained properly, you know, socially distanced, mm -hmm. and the only way we could do it to fit everything in because we started back again as a decision made uh, jointly by myself and the club that we started back quite late. We started back in September because again, financially we. The club was getting no income whatsoever, other than the, the fantastic effort made by the season supporters uh, tickets, and a couple of unbelievable um, or a few unbelievable donations from fans who just wanted to help the club out. Right, well, looking forward, and uh, I mean, it's it's great you're back, and I think the fans listening to this, it's 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 a good insight you're giving us as to last season, not just personally but professionally at the club, what what the club went through, and um, I've learned a lot just listening to you, John. But let's look at positive stuff then. I know on the fans forum, which will stuff will come out, we've spoke about any projects you can share at the moment that you're working on, or anything that the fans can can look forward to for next season in your new job. Yeah, well, listen, the first and foremost, it's helping Billy. Um, to build the squad and build a team that can compete um, for the title. That's what we all want. And the most important thing, and I said to Billy when, when he was uh, announced, you know, I said to him, my job now is to make you the most successful Inverness Califissal manager in the club's history. Um, because that's, if that's not the case, there's no point me being here, there's no point anybody being here. We've all got to help Billy. Uh, and my job, as I say, is to help him um, get players, speak to the agents so that he doesn't waste any time speaking to the agents, speak to clubs, find the players he wants, go and get them uh, signed and bring them back. And then, as I say, once he's got his squad up and running, um, when the transfer window shuts, that's when I kick in. I will then be going, you know, September, October, November, December, uh, 
I'll be all over the country, um, Scotland and England, trying to find players that that can you know try to find the David Carson's playing in the, the Northern Premier League for Morpeth. Go and try and find the George Oakleys that have been playing for Wimbledon. You know, go and find the Tom Walshies that are not playing in the in the Rangers team, etc. And finding these players so that in January we have two or three options uh, for Billy. Um, so that's the main on the on the on my involvement with the team is to help that. Um, to deal with the, deal the grounds and to make sure that the training ground, the, the match pitches are cut to the exact specifications that Billy wants um, for the team. Um, so that way, that's the way we, we do it. Um, under no doubt whatsoever, um, no player will ever be signed for this football club unless Billy wants him signed for this football club. He has the final say. It will not be a question of me saying, there's your player, that's who we've got, and you're signing him. No, no chance. Billy and I will sit down. Um, as I say, we've got three players signed pre-contract. We told Billy who the three players were. He's absolutely delighted with the three players. Obviously, only one at the moment. Tom Walsh has been announced. Yep. Billy's delighted with the three players we've got. And now it's a question added to that. And that's what I'm saying. Is Billy will give me his his recommendations. Um, I'll go and find recommendations uh, that I've been given. Show Billy who they are. Uh, we go over them. Um, but... Everybody has to know it's, it's straightforward and simple. Billy will make all final decisions on every single player coming or going from this football club. So that's the football aspect of it. Um, in terms of projects, initially off and running, um, we, we, have the, we have the situation where we have to find a purpose-built uh, structure for the gym. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm in the process of doing that. We've, talk, we've talked to a lot of people about modular buildings, uh, semi-permanent buildings, etc. Uh, so we're well down the road with that. We're hopeful. That, uh, we're against the clock with that one because I say the North Concourse has to be cleared and it's a lot of big equipment. Um, also, we're looking at improving the training ground at Fort George um, in terms of, of being able to turn pitches around the other way with perhaps um, fencing uh, being put up and perhaps some portable changing rooms and toilets out there um, because to be fair the lads have been it's a rare sight to see our boys diving over walls and behind bushes uh, when nature calls so to speak I think we need to get past that um, especially when there's a busload of tourists heading towards Fort George um, at the time so we're hopefully doing a lot of things that upgrading that Dale's already got a tremendous um, maintenance programme organised through the summer to make sure that the, the training ground is in tip top condition uh, we're also looking at a permanent base in the city centre for our ladies team. Uh, as mentioned earlier on, we have a women's team, we have a development team and an under-17 team at the moment. We have also now got a clear pathway for the academy with Inverness Thistle ladies as well. Um, but they're scattered to the four corners of Inverness. So we're looking at the moment, uh, we're in early talks about a potential training base for the, for those um, as, and as well as our um, youth Academy, the Seven Aside Youth Academy, as I say, which would allow us to utilise the Eleven Aside pitches better at Charleston. Mm-hmm. So it's coordinating all that. Um, I'll be working as daft as it sounds. We'll be we are we'll be announcing. Obviously, we'll be showcasing the away kit um, on Monday, I believe, and they will be doing various photo shoots for that. Uh, but also, we will be starting on next season's trip right away because that has to be ready and running up by January so you know the next month or two we'll be working so I'll be working with Scott Gardner and, and Matty Lockwood uh, from Puma 
on that to make sure that we, you know, we're up there. We're really excited about our, our, our two strips, the home strips, bespoke, a very bespoke uh, individual one for the club. The away strip on the back of a hugely successful pink one last year. Yeah. Um, we've come up with something pretty different, uh, to say the least. We, we hope that the fans will like, you know, the initial one when they came out last year, pink, wasn't hugely uh, greeted as it is on the fans forum at times. Um, popular, but I think everybody grew to love it. I think it's been a tremendous strip for us. We will we have a new uh, aspect of that. The pink strip will become our third strip. Um, so again, for the lights, for the parents out there, they, they'll get a second year out of a current in the next strip. And then we'll obviously have a new second strip and a new home strip, which again gets pushed up the line over the following years. Um, so there's that aspect of it, as I said to before, uh, to be done. Um, I'll be working again, I'll be keeping an eye on, on the academy just to make sure that everything's going to as well, really, really well run by, by Charlie and Ross and, and Arthur are all on top of that. I'll be working closely with the community um, team in, in regards to the hot shots and various other uh, school visits that we've got because I, I think, again, that's hugely important. Um, also, on behalf of the club, I'll become an ambassador for Mikey's line as well. Okay. I think having even my own experiences this summer, it was uh, something I'm really looking forward to doing and helping out with because of the, the help that I've received. Um, so there's there's lots and lots going on, as I say, and there will be more um, over the years. I, I no doubt I'll, you know, uh, the amount of work that Scott and the board are doing on uh, various things around the club in terms of the concerts. Um, basically, once the season starts and once the games are off and running, you probably won't see me at many of the games, I'll be out and about um, taking up games and say I've got my tremendous network of, of scouts down the road where I, I can go now and I can, you know, I can leave here on Monday afternoon, stay Monday night in Newcastle, watch Newcastle on the 23s in the afternoon. I can watch Sunderland on the 23s at night. I can go and watch um, Middlesbrough on the 23s on the Wednesday. I can watch Blythe Spartans or North Shields on the Wednesday evening before heading back home. There's no rush. You know, in the past, I have occasionally gone down and watched players in the Central Belt, Edinburgh, Glasgow, but I've had to rush back for training the following day, which, again, puts a lot of pressure on you, especially in the dark winter nights. I'll be able to get down to London for the first time and see my London scout face-to-face and talk about the players that are there. I spend a few days down there, same in, in the Midlands, same in Yorkshire with, with Doogie Bell. Um, so there's, there's an opportunity now, as I say, to get out and about. Um, but there's, there's so much uh, to be getting on uh, with the club as well, and I say I'm really looking forward to working um, on the women's aspect of the game. I, I think it's huge for the club. I think it's huge for the city. I think it's huge for the region that, that we, we support our women's team, and again, try and get them the best facilities. We don't want uh, the facilities to be seen as uh, second-hand compared to the first team. Yeah. Um, we want to go forward and show the young girls in Inverness that there's a future. And there's a pathway for them to play at the very top of the ladies' game or the women's game in Scotland. And we look forward to the day when we're announcing that four of the development team have, are playing for Scotland uh, women's under-21s. And then we get uh, a women's version of Ryan Christie playing for the national team. As I say, we'll be looking at various aspects of, of um, fan enjoyment. You know, do we... You were there at the fans' focus group. You know, do we want half-time entertainment? If we do... What do we want? What are the facilities we're looking to to get uh, actually at the stadium? There are new heaters in the um, in the North Concourse, so the winter games 
the fans that come down at half time to to get the the, the food and beverages will at least be heated. You know that that aspect of it. We don't need that in the, in the uh, sports lounge because there's lots of radiators and things in there. So there's various little things that are going to be getting done that always get done at football clubs. Massive, uh, say, projects um, on and off the pitch. But, uh, see, the main focus right now uh, for the next uh, six weeks is helping Billy get his, his team ready and helping Billy um, get everything uh, ready to hit the ground running uh, for the League Cup. So we're nearly done, John, and i seen someone walk in behind you there that asked, it's your time for my next question. So the rumours are that you, Ross and Scott are the three tenors supporting Bocelli next summer. Is that true? Well, no, I've, I've probably got, at maximum, I've probably only got three tenors. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in terms of music, no, uh, I don't think uh, Scott, uh, Ross, or myself will be that involved in uh, the singing aspect of it. Um, we've, to be fair, could we sing for our supper at a push? Maybe. Um, but yeah, I think leave, John Ross, a good chapter, he can sing. I think you leave that to the. I think you leave that to the professionals. Um, um, and I say, you know, the the work that's gone in behind the scenes to get the the concerts going is is phenomenal, and it's a tremendous undertaking uh, from the club. It's a tremendous undertaking club, and there'll be paraphernalia coming left, right, centre. You know, not that I'm advertising anything at all to anybody out there, but feel free to go on the website at any time. Um, and book your tickets ASAP. No, oh, John, listen, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. It was more than, uh, than, than I needed, and uh, it's, it's been great to hear from you. And you're looking well, and I think the fans will listen, listen will uh, be pleased to hear from you. And it's good to see you back, and uh, we'll make continue. No problem, Paul. Appreciate that, Stevie. Right. Yeah, John, thank you. Cheers, buddy. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah.